Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here today on this Palm Sunday. And if you are new with us online or you're new, you're visiting and you're wondering why are we cheering at a video announcement of somebody, um, or if you missed last week, if you missed last week and you are an Orchard follower, member, you consider this your church, it is required listening. I need you to go to YouTube, not right now, um, I need you to go to YouTube, I need you to go to Facebook, I need you to go to the podcast or our Orchard app, and I want you to, to listen to last week's sermon. And I don't just say that because, you know, I feel like I'm just such a great preacher. Um, it was not that at all. There is something that you need to know about, and it had to do with our children's pastor, Stacy, who had a medical emergency, and it looked tragic. Um, you got to hear the whole thing, but let me just tell you one piece of information that, that Lane, her husband, had let us know. Um, you know, she had that medical emergency affecting both uh, her heart and then, of course, oxygen to the brain. And a uh, doctor told Lane that there uh, was a 5% chance for survival. And of that 5% chance of survival, for her unique, specific thing that she had going on, of that 5% of survival, there was no percentage that included what happened to her. Uh, it was always months uh, and, and not fully recovered, but months of therapy and, and all kinds of things like that. But she um, woke up 24 hours later and um, seems to be doing absolutely fine. I, I, I saw her and went and talked to her yesterday. And so uh, it's amazing what God has done. There's more to the story. Go listen to it. Uh, we are just living in that. And many of you last week came forward for prayer for your miracle, for, for God to move in your life. And um, we had people come up forward and pray for, for salvation, they, and, and they now are, they know Jesus. And so God was doing some amazing things. And at the end of today's sermon, we're going to give you another chance if you'd like uh, some people to pray over you. Uh, that's a part of our church that I, we've often offered, but we'd like for it to be a part of how we roll on Sunday mornings. So let me talk to you about next week. Next week is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And it's going to be packed. It's going to be a packed Sunday, especially this service. So I'm going to ask you, if you're an Orchard regular who's on the 10 a.m., um, would you consider, please, going to 8.30? But I know some of you are not morning people, so we added an 11.30. So some of you can sleep in even later and show up to the 11.30 service. And I'm going to ask you to show up on time, park far. Make room for our guests. We're going to talk about Jesus and, and all that he's done and all who he is. And we're praying that next week is one of those Sundays in people's lives in our community. Your friends and your family, I'm praying, as you invite them, that, that they would say that was the Sunday when God spoke to me and revealed himself in a new way. So that's next week, 8.30, 10 a.m., and 11.30. Also, about Stacy, if people are asking me how they can help, there's a couple different ways. One is you can help with food. We have a meal train. Um, Ellen at the office, you can email us and we can get you that address so you can cook. Also, one of the ways that we, you could really help is to join us in children's ministry. We're always looking for more support and more leaders, not just during this time when she's out, but when she returns, that her team would be full and flush with a lot of new leaders. And so this is your call to action for many of you who've been wondering or maybe feel that. Um, contact the Orchard office and let's, let's get that started. Now, we are in, um, after it was a detour last week, uh, after God did something amazing, but we have been in the book of Exodus and looking at the plagues. Remember, it didn't feel appropriate to preach the plagues last week. But we have this, nine, this tenth and final plague. And if you'll remember, if you've been with us, that... Um, each plague was God defeating one of the idols, one of the gods or goddesses of Egypt, and just one after another from the hail and the frogs, the sun god Ra, over and over and over, Yahweh uh, showing his power over all other uh, of these Egyptian gods who they worshipped and, and claimed to be holy. Pharaoh 
remember, is considered a God himself. And he was in charge of keeping divine order throughout the nation. He had to make sure that the Nile was flowing and that the sun rose. And and he would keep the gods and goddesses happy as he was the mediator. And they had an Egyptian word for what he did. It was called mat. He would keep the mat, the order of the nation. And Yahweh has shown himself, he has brought, Pharaoh's mot has been disassembled. God is showing himself so powerful. Now, we come to the 10th and final plague, and God says in Exodus eleven three, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It's, this is against all the gods. He's going to strike all of them. And there is one God in particular that this one is going to level a God that the people believed in, that they hoped in, that they prayed to, they sang songs to, they, they spoke to. And the 10th and final plague um, strikes directly at Pharaoh himself, the God king of Egypt. Pharaoh, who is believed to be divine and the overseer of all religious activity and the mediator between all these many gods and goddesses and keeps it all together. The 10th plague, God says at midnight, um, the firstborn of every family from the highest to the lowest and all the livestock will all die. Now, this seems like a different level of plague, right? I mean, you got flies, you got frogs, and now we have this one. It is a different level. You see, God is bringing judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians in the same way that they had judged the Hebrew slaves. Remember what they had done? They had taken the sons of Israel at birth and thrown them into the Nile. All the people who had been killing the the children, uh, the sons of Israel on Pharaoh's command. They had beaten and killed countless sons and daughters throughout their generations of slavery. But there's something more going on here. In Exodus 4, before Moses has even traveled back To be in Egypt, God says, I want you to tell Pharaoh this, Israel is my firstborn son, and I command you to let him go. If not, I shall take your firstborn from you. God's saying, you've been killing my firstborn, and now I shall take yours. As God inverts Pharaoh's judgment back upon him, God is speaking to Pharaoh in Pharaoh's language. God is dealing with Pharaoh in Pharaoh's currency. Pharaoh hasn't had no mercy. He had no mercy at all. He said, all boys, all the Hebrew boys who are born, all of them, throw them into the Nile. But when God gives this judgment against Pharaoh, he gives a mercy. There is a way to be spared. God gives instructions on, on what to do so that this judgment would pass over your household. And that's where we find ourselves. God declared judgment against Pharaoh and in the very way that Pharaoh had been judging them. And, and when this judgment hits, there will be no question, no question, who is powerful, who is God amongst the, the, the God of Moses who's declaring these things, or all these other gods of Egypt, including uh, Pharaoh. Because even the God King Pharaoh, the God King Pharaoh, who protects the people, he can't even protect his own son. Imagine a divine being who cannot protect his own son. What would that communicate to the people? Judgment is coming to the house of Pharaoh because Yahweh is going to free his people. From there, we turn to Exodus chapter 12 for a complete change of pace. I mean, Exodus 11 is hard. It's this war of the gods and this plague and all these things. And and then we turn to Exodus 12, and it's detailed instructions on what God wants to do and wants the people to do to receive mercy, to receive this Passover. Verse 1. 
the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Now, what does this mean? It means that God's saying, I'm going to do something so great, it's going to change your entire calendar. I'm going to do such a mighty work that it's going to be marked by this being the new year. Remember, God is reorienting, he's rearranging the, the people of Israel, this nation, based on what he's doing for them, not based on agriculture or the moon or however their calendar would be. Because remember, they've been in slavery for generations. And they have taken on Egyptian cultures, Egyptian uh, religion, Egyptian calendars. But God wants to take these Hebrews out of Egypt. And in the process of doing that, in the book of Exodus, he's also going to take the Egypt out of the Hebrews. And it starts here by God declaring that their calendar will be reset based on an act of power that he's going to do in their lives. And then he goes on to describe this detail. Listen to this. Verse 3, announce to the whole community of Israel that, one, that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice, one animal for every household. If a family is too small for a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. I mean, it's so oddly specific. And Exodus 12 has so many specific instructions for how they're to, to interact with this 10th plague, how to receive mercy, and also how to interact as God is instituting a feast, a festival. Actually, three festivals in one here. He says the type of lamb must be this, verse 5, the animal you must select is a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defect. The word there, defect, is tamin. It means without blemish. The psalmist uses that word tamin to say sinless or righteous, without sin. So we're looking for this perfect lamb on the 10th day of this month. That's now the new holiday or the New Year's Eve. And this month is called Nisan. So on the 10th day of Nisan, you will go and you will select this perfect lamb. That day is called Lamb Selection Day. When the, everybody would have to go get a lamb and select it. I'm going to say lamb a lot, but even though it mentions goat, lamb is what I'm used to saying, and that's what they would typically use, unless they couldn't and they would go with the goat. We find out more about this lamb in verse 6. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th of this month. So in a twilight on that 14th day, they would sacrifice the lamb. So we have lamb selection day on the 10th. We have, and, and on that day, you would take the lamb to your home. And for four, day, and four days later, you would sacrifice it. But think of that. Four days, that lamb is in your house. Four days, the family would inspect it to make sure that it was without blemish. That means the kids probably got to play with it. Who got attached to it? It's like a four-day 4-H thing, right? I mean, you get, you're getting to know it. You're getting personal with it. And part of sacrifice is a true sacrifice. There is uh, something personal about it. And notice that God did this in the culture of the family. Not, not based on a church or a temple or a tabernacle. Each family was to go to get in together and, and do what God needed them to do. Fathers leading and choosing the lamb, mothers leading and tending the lamb, children were learning who God was and what God was doing by watching their parents model it for them and speak about it. Now, this is a microcosm of how we're to, to raise our children now. Two of the greatest ways that God brings redemption to this earth are his church and the family. 
Now, it's not, not in the way that we bring sheep into our household, although some of you do, but it's the way we bring gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus into our household. And we have fathers and mothers who are modeling for their children what God's nature is like, what his teaching is like, how to live in light of that apart from the culture. And parents, we cannot rely on the church for this. I, I work for the church, but even me, I, I realize my children are up there for one hour a week. I cannot expect for my children to be discipled and know God's nature and how to behave in this culture from one hour a week. If we're here, let's say we're here 40 weeks at the most, right? That's 40 hours a year of teaching up there. But how many hours are my children in our home with Amy and myself? That is where the bulk of the teaching of God's nature and his character and how he wants us to live must come. And so my children are in my care for so many hours and, and dad, it's, dads, many of you, it's time for us to rise up and lead our families. It's time for dads for you to, to rise up and model what it looks like to live a godly life in front of your son so he will know that in front of your daughter so she will know. Moms, it's time to rise up and lead and pour into your children the ways of God that they would see you modeling it during worship. They would see you modeling it at home. And I know this is hard and it may require some adjustments. And I know there's some unique situations that are heartbreaking. I get all that. But for some of us, it's time to adjust and as a parent, maybe begin seeking God on our own so that we are filled, so that we can then fill our children from that fullness. Parents, your relationship and your, your, your pursuing God isn't just important to you. Your sons, our sons, our daughters are watching. And it's time for us to model and teach them what that would look like. Back to the text. Lamb selection day on this 10th of Nisan. Four days of inspection in the home. And then on the 14th day, the family would sacrifice the lamb. The instructions go on to tell the people to put the door on their doorpost and their mantle. So that, God's, so that God would pass over their house, sparing them. This is where we get the festival of Passover. And we'll talk about that more next week. Now, Passover is something that Jesus himself would have grown up uh, celebrating. I bet for every year of Jesus' life, he celebrated Passover. Moses actually, God tells Moses in Exodus here in verse 24, he says this, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. Some translations say forever, for you and your descendants. And here's the question we have to ask. If Jesus honored Passover and Lamb Selection Day, and Moses was told it should go on forever, um, what? Did you guys go select your lamb? Did you? Anybody select your lamb? Like, like, like what happened? Why are we not selecting our lamb on the 10th of Nisan, which would be yesterday? Hmm. Hebrew word here for forever is a fairly common word. It's used in this very chapter and other places. And it's, it also is translated to until. In other places, it's translated to unto the age. So this feast of Passover, these feasts he's talking about, are something that should be observed until something in the future happens or until the present age passes. I personally believe the intent is that you and your descendants must observe this until it is fulfilled. God gave these Passover instructions to Moses 3,500 years ago. Jesus celebrated Passover 2,000 years ago, what happened to Lamb Selection Day? What happened to Passover in our culture? Did you know that we actually do celebrate some of these moments, but we have different names for them, and they've been replaced by different traditions? We honor Lamb Selection Day, and next week we'll honor Passover, but in our own way. 
So you see, Lamb Selection Day is known as the triumphant entry of Jesus. It's, it's also known as Palm Sunday today. Now, because of that, I've been telling you over and over, one of my favorite things, if you've been around me, you know this, is to go deeper to the Old Testament and find the Jesus there. Because I believe the word of God is beautiful. I believe that Jesus came to fulfill all the old covenant. And so let's travel to the New Testament. We've looked at Exodus. And let's see about Jesus. He's been ministering and traveling for three years by the time we pick up with him. He's performed miracles so shocking that people can't deny his power. He's spoken words and teachings so riveting that many have come to believe that he's a powerful prophet. Perhaps this is Elijah. Come back. Who knows? But there's even a rumbling rumor that is spreading like wildfire that this Jesus may be the one, the Messiah, the one the entire Old Testament says will come. From, from the beginnings of Genesis, it talks about the one who will come. And all throughout, is this the Messiah? And people are wondering, it even says in John 11, it's talking about the rumors and how they're talking. Do you think Jesus will show up? Do you think he'll show up for, for, for Passover? And the question on everybody's mind is, is he going to declare himself? When the whole nation shows up in pilgrims to Jerusalem, will Jesus finally declare his true identity? Is now the time the Messiah, the one our Torah, our Tanakh speaks of, that who will save us? Is, is, is this Jesus? Is it Jesus? And will he reveal himself? The Messiah, we believe, is, is going to throw off the, <clears throat> the oppression of Rome. There's this oppressive government over them. And is he going to come like King David and be a military Messiah who will throw off the oppression? And you have to also know, for, for uh, Passover, millions of people made a pilgrimage. The, the city would be just packed full of people who would uh, make the pilgrimage there. And they were, this day, they were getting their sheep from out in the, in the fields or from the priests inside. But there were people everywhere. Now, Jesus and his 12 are part of this. They're headed to Jerusalem. Jesus tells his disciples to go get him a donkey to, to ride, and then he, he gets on the donkey and begins the final leg of his final visit to Jerusalem during this time. He's descending the Mount of Olives, headed into the city. And Luke says that a great crowd gathered around him, laying their cloaks out on the road before him and joyfully shouting. John 12, 12 records it like this. A great crowd had come to the festival for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they heard about it. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Do you see that there's throngs just pouring out of Jerusalem to go They're on either side of the road? You can imagine this procession. Jesus is coming. He is coming. They grab palm branches and they start shouting something. We have some, some actual... They begin shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So they grabbed their palm branches and they chanted Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. Mark adds this, Hosanna, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. The kingdom of David is coming, Hosanna in the highest. Luke says, blessed is the king who is coming, Hosanna. We need to pause here and say, what are they, what are they actually saying? Our king is come. Our king has come. Here he is. There's our king. All this king talk. I mean, it's almost as if they're, they're thinking that Jesus is going to go in, into Passover week, and at some point, they're going to watch him as he rises up in power, reveals who he is, and is, is shown above all the people as the conquering king he is. But what about this word, Hosanna? 
It's not a word we use in our everyday life, is it? Probably not one we've used all year. It seems, it literally means save us. Save us, king, save us. And so they're crying out to Jesus for, for almost salvation. King, save us, save us. Here comes the king, this crowd that went out to meet him all with branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But let's take a deeper look in history. Let's go, let's go, let's go a little bit deeper in the culture. Because it had evolved. It, there's more going on here with the word Hosanna than, than meets the eye. It, this, this word save us and, and these palm branches. What, what is that? You see, Hosanna and the palm branches had evolved in their culture during the centuries preceding this. Almost 200 years before this, the Jewish people were under the thumb of another oppressive nation, and Judah Maccabee led a revolt that captured Jerusalem back for the Hebrews and freed and cleared the temple. In fact, let's read from 1 Maccabees 13, 51, written 200 years before Jesus. On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered it and praised with palm branches because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. And what is it these throngs of people who come out to see Jesus, what do they want their Messiah to do? And they want to see a great enemy crushed and removed from Israel. So they entered with praise and with palm branches. The palm branch had become a symbol of resistance, of freedom from an oppressive army. And at this time with Jesus, from Rome. So, so, so back to Jesus. There he is. He's, on, he's riding a donkey. The crowd is surrounding him. They're laying their coats down. They're yelling, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. What they're not yelling is, it's the Messiah. He's come to die for our sins. He's going to be crucified and raised again. Yes, Jesus, Hosanna. No, 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 no. They're yelling, King, King Jesus, save us from Rome. Throw off their rule and cleanse our city. Be our military Messiah, like Judah, Maccabee, like David. Be our conquering king. You see, Hosanna was a political rally cry. Hosanna, this right here is an ancient sign of protest. This is a poster board. This was a political rally. They're out in the streets. They're chanting. They're chanting. They're waving their signs. They're declaring a king. What do you think Rome would have thought about? Why do you think Rome put king of the Jews above his head? Here's your king. This is what Rome does to kings. Oh, you, call, you declared him king? Here's what we do to kings. What is happening here is not the Christian Palm Sunday that, that we know, that we love, that we celebrate, declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord, risen. What's happening here in John and in the other Gospels is, is the political rally. They're gathered with their ancient poster boards chanting Jesus as conquering king and military Messiah. Hosanna, 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 save us. What strikes me, what is so interesting to think about is that these very crowds, these very lips, these very hands that are, are swinging like this and saying Hosanna, in just a few short days, they would have a different countenance. They would be saying different words. For many of these very lips that are proclaiming Hosanna, Hosanna, will soon be declaring, crucify him. Crucify him. Many laying, laying cloaks at his feet now will find themselves spitting on his feet as he walks through town, broken and bloody, carrying a cross. 
How do you go from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him? How do you go from a triumphant entry to a cross in days? They were cheering Hosanna because they believed that he would be the Messiah, the king. But they found out that Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted. He wasn't going to defeat Rome. He wasn't going to come through for them in the way that they wanted him to. They believed the Messiah from the line of David would come and rule like David, sit on the throne in Jerusalem, military might, political reformation, recapture Jerusalem, and return it to its glory. They're waiting for a conquering king to throw off the chains of injustice and put the, the nation back in its rightful place. And when he rode into town on a donkey, and, and all the miracles he performed, surely this is the one. Have you seen what he's done? He healed the blind man. He rose Lazarus from the dead. Every, they know everything. It's all going around. It's Passover. It's time. Prepare yourself. He's going to do it. He's going to declare himself. Hosanna. Hosanna. Save us from Rome. But Jesus refused to fulfill their expectations because he was on a mission far larger than defeating Rome. He was here to defeat sin and death. And within the next week, we'll see him go from a Messiah wearing robes of freedom to wearing chains and ripped and torn bloody robes. You can understand their confusion at some point, even those who believed it in Jesus. A conquering king wears a crown of gold, not a crown of thorns. He wasn't who we thought he was. They would see him whipped and beaten. A military messiah is not broken like that, torn open, bloody. This man, he's not who we thought he was. The moment Jesus made it clear that he would not be throwing off Roman rule and freeing them from oppression, uh, that's not the Messiah that they wanted. It's not the Messiah who they'd hoped for. And they're right. He was not there to fulfill political, cultural, social, personal desires or agendas. Jesus will come back as conquering king, but he first had to come as suffering savior. Someday he's going to tear the sky open, but first it was him who had to be torn open to lay down his life, to lay down his crown, and to die for the sins of all people who would come to him. So when they yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, the king is here, he had come to save them, but not in the way they wanted. How does this apply to us today? I want us to just be very wary in our own life of remaking Jesus into the kind of Messiah or Savior that we want. A Messiah that is here to make us happy. A Savior who's there to keep us safe. A Savior who's here to help us be successful. A Savior who um, is there for our cultural, social agendas, wherever it would be. We need to be wary of making Jesus into any of these. He didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us holy. It's much different. So many people then and so many people now want Jesus to come and be a part of their life and fill their agenda. And just maybe, and this is, we're all guilty of this, maybe it might be that we have put our faith in a safety savior. That Jesus 
You are there to keep my family safe. You're there to keep me and my loved ones from tragedy and illness. And when something happens, Jesus, where were you? Now, obviously, we see, as we saw with Stacy and, and other stories that are coming forth, that, that, that God can step in at any moment. But, but we have to deal with the fact that some of us, we believe in a safety savior who protects our loved ones and our lives. Some of us, we, we have a successful savior, a Jesus that helps us get ahead in life, a Jesus that somehow promises prosperity and a lack of, you know, just the good life. And there's also the happiness Messiah, that, that Jesus is here somehow. I believe in Jesus. My faith is in him to keep me happy. And we yell Hosanna to a Savior who we thought was going to make us happy, who instead wants to make us holy. And sometimes that's not happy. <laughs> Perhaps we enjoy uh, that he would lay down his life for us, but we have forgotten that we're supposed to lay down more than just a coat for him. We're supposed to lay our lives down for him. All those people who were yelling Hosanna, they thought that the week would end with Jesus being lifted up high for all to see his glory, to see him conquer. And he was raised. He was raised up in glory, above, and he did conquer, but it didn't look like they wanted it to. One more insight about the triumphal entry. Entry. Jesus didn't. He, he didn't do anything by accident, and even the very day the triumphant entry happened sheds light on his mission. Jesus gets on a donkey, presents himself to, Jerus to Jerusalem. Right there on what week? Well, it's the start of Passover week. He's riding down into town from the outside fields down the Mount of Olives um, that will end in a lamb sacrifice later that week, just as Exodus 13 had told us. But do you know what exact day Jesus is on that donkey presenting himself to Jerusalem? Do you know what exact day he's doing this here in the triumphant entry? Well, we already read it. Let's read it again, Exodus 12, 3. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb for sacrifice, one animal for each household. Jesus rides in, revealing himself. He's riding into Jerusalem down the Mount, of Ol Mount Olives on the 10th of Nisan, the lamb selection day, mere days before Passover. The exact day that pilgrims would have been choosing and selecting their lamb or going to a market and from the priests and choosing and selecting their blameless, spotless Passover lamb they would look over the lambs carefully, inspect it, and choose it. The very days the, the family would be selecting their blameless lamb, on that day Jesus presents himself, the blameless Passover lamb, but not just for a family, but for the world. I mean, when you put all these things together from Exodus and, and, and Jesus' actions, all of it, it's as if Jesus is riding there down in Jerusalem, and he says, you're looking, you're looking for a sinless, blameless lamb? You're looking for a sacrificial lamb? I'm right here. Here I am. And you may not have selected me, but I have been chosen. While they were out choosing their lamb, the chosen lamb was revealing himself. He came the way he did, when he did, to make something very clear. I am the lamb who will take the sins of the world upon myself. Remember when we read in Exodus that we should select lambs and celebrate Passover until the end of the age or until it was fulfilled. 
Jesus, there on the 10th of Nisan, entered Jerusalem. And that was the last lamb selection day ever needed. And there's a reason you don't have a sheep in your house right now. Because there is no more lambs needed. The Lamb of God was chosen, blameless, sinless, presenting himself so that later that week he could be lifted up and revealed in all his glory that he was conquering more than Rome. He was conquering sin and death. So it's fitting that here on Palm Sunday we celebrate this special day, the day that Jesus presented himself as the sinless, blameless lamb. And and, and the irony of ironies is that we can chant that ancient chant that they said there on those roads when they poured out of the city to line the street and chant for Jesus. Let's say this together. You got this with me? Let's get this verse up here. Hosanna, blessed he, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is our king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is our king. King Jesus came and gave his life rose again to heaven. We have seen God do mighty works in our midst last week but then continually. And there are mighty works that he is doing, that he is working into your lives and into this church. I believe there is so much more ahead for us. And last week there were some who came forward and, and prayed, but there were many who told me, man, I, I wanted to get out of my chair so bad, but I just couldn't bring myself to it. And I just want to say, as we go into this song and take communion and go into the song. If, if you would like some prayer, if, if you didn't get a chance to or you want some prayer, I'm going to be over here. My wife's going to be over here. Uh, if we have some other leaders and elders in the back or up front, um, please. And also, for those of you who are here checking this out, um, we have people who said, I, this is going to be my first week at the orchard because of what happened last week, what I heard about. Um, if you would like to pray to receive this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come find us. We'd love to pray for you. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that the things written in ancient days that you set in motion, your son fulfilled one after another after another, and that Jesus is who he says he is, the Lamb of God, taking the sins of the world upon him. And Father, we look forward to next week in Easter when we will declare that. But today, I pray for those in this building and online. I pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts to get us out of our chairs to worship to pray, and Father, I pray that your will be done in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.